on. Hello everyone, good afternoon, and once I post this on YouTube, you'll see an overlay, or I might just leave it as a black screen, depending on how uh, lazy or, uh, I guess, um, active I feel, but I'm joined by a guest, uh, Kevin from FCS Nation, the Twitter account, and the radio show, and uh, Kevin, do you mind just giving some background on yourself and uh, your show, and, and just, just really anything? Well, I grew up around civil football, and when I was a kid... You know, you found out about other FCS teams because the Southern Conference was pretty much the SEC of what was then 1AA. You had Marshall in the league, uh, then Georgia Southern, App State. Furman was really good. You know, so you would see these teams in the playoffs every year, you know, from out west, Montana, Montana State. You know, so you had a pretty good feel of what was going on nationally then just by being a fan of a SOCOM team. And so I grew to love uh, what was in 1AA football, then FCS football. I'm a Silver Bulldog fan, always have been. And, you know, for me, I like the way that we do things at our level. I mean, the next level up is fine for what it is. But, you know, there's a lot of inequality and inequity at that next level up. The, the line between the haves and the have-nots is way larger than it is in our subdivision. And... You know, with the 12-team playoffs supposedly coming, well, big-time football's kind of moving in the right direction, I guess, for a, for a true playoff. But we've done it at this level for a long time, and our national champion is the last team to win a football game. And that's the way it ought to be. It's the way it is in every other sport where, you know, you have a true playoff and not just, you know, what some computers decided before or a bunch of guys in a smoke-filled room deciding who's good and who deserves to play and who doesn't. I like our playoff system, and I like the schools. And for the most part, FCS football is played uh, by kids who you know, maybe are an inch or two shorter than their counterparts at the big schools, maybe a half a step slower. But it's still really good football. And if you watch NFL football, you'll see just how many guys come from our level. If you can play, they will find you. Yeah, I think that's an outstanding point for sure. And it, it's kind of a shame. Um, you know, with the spring season, everyone's saying that the spring season should be a permanent move when really, like, these schools have been producing great talent all along and really just great football. I mean, I, for one, I grew up near Holy Cross, 10 minutes away from a good old fit and field, uh, which, I mean, I, I can't bring myself to call it a dump, but it was great football. And then just, uh, you know, being in college in the Northeast on weekends is getting out to the Ivy League stadiums. I came, I came to love FCS football again. So uh, glad you're on, Kevin. And um, yeah, you mentioned Citadel on the phone beforehand. Uh, you're giving me a hard time as a West Point grad about the uh, Citadel Army series, how uh, it took a pandemic for us to continue the series. So I'll, I'll let you speak on that a little bit. Well, you know, it, it was 92. Citadel goes up there to Mikey Stadium, beats Army, beats them the next year. Uh, then two years after that, um, Army wins on the last second field goal. And, you know, it had been since 1994 that the two teams have played. And that doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, what are there, five Division One senior military colleges in, in the country? And uh, the military college of South Carolina can't get a game with Navy because they beat them back-to-back in the 80s. Uh, Air Force, we've gone out there and, and given them a much harder time than they ever wanted. But, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, those games should be played every once in a while because they're special. There's something different about those games. And, you know, the people care about it. Uh, and, look, when Mikey Stadium was packed that day, 
uh, when I was there, and Jeff Trend kicked a long field goal for the Citadel to win. You know, it was uh, grudging respect. And, you know, that's kind of the way it is between those schools. The Citadel and VMI, it's a rivalry, but there's not a lot of hatred in it. You know, there's a lot of mutual respect, and you want to beat them, and they want to beat you, mostly because you're almost exactly alike. Now, the Citadel and Furman, that's different. You know, there there is some hatred there. Uh, I tell people on the show every year, you know, when they talk about how great their rivalry is, well, you know, I always say it's not really a rivalry unless there's been a mascot murder on the side of the road, and that's happened in the Citadel Furman series. If anyone's read those books by Pat Conroy, they know that. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point, too. And, uh, again, that grudge and respect, I totally relate to that, especially after this year's game. I mean, only, only the core of cadets in the stands. Uh, I got to say, the, the Bulldogs gave a, gave a tough game to, to the cadets. I mean, and we weren't expecting it. We really weren't. But, um, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with uh, the senior military colleges getting together more. I mean, I know we play VMI a lot, but that's because we can beat them. They haven't beat us since uh, 1981, um, so we're comfortable with them. But hopefully there's more Citadel games in the future. But um, mo- moving on to our main topic and why I have you on here, Kevin, uh, you know, in the slow drag of summer offseason college football news, the Big Sky announced a television deal, as, as you're well aware of, and that took them away from Pluto TV, which was convenient but had its share of production problems on to ESPN and ESPN Plus for their streaming. So I kind of want to know your initial thoughts on the deal. I think it's a good move, and some people will disagree. Well, the- I think most of the disagreement was, well, if you're not going to improve the production of some members of the league, we were getting it for free, and now you want us to pay for uh, schools that we don't need to name, they know who they are, who didn't put as much of a financial uh, focus on creating a very good quality product for Pluto TV. Some really did, and some just really didn't. But it's my understanding uh, from Big Sky Deputy and from the commish there, that there's going to be a study done, who has what, who needs what, and ESPN is going to be, uh, I don't know if they're going to uh, tote the mail themselves or if they're just going to help, but there is going to be uh, an audit done of who does what well, who does not do well, who has what equipment, who needs what, and there will be some help, if not outright purchased by ESPN to bring everyone to the same standard. Now, the Southern Conference has a deal with ESPN and ESPN Plus for that. And the first year, there were some schools in that league where it was kind of rough. You know, there's no reason to, you know, not be frank about it. There were some schools that it was not a quality product. Well, they saw that and they fixed it. And... Now, the SOCON has something called the Next Star Game of the Week, where they put one game from that Saturday slate on five to seven of the CW stations, uh, regular over-the-air TV stations uh, in the South, and they use the same equipment that they would use for an ESPN Plus broadcast. They bring in Pete Yannity and some other more well-known announcers than the ESPN Plus games get. So the standard is good enough that the ESPN Plus broadcast of Southern Conference football can be put on regular TV, and you don't realize that you're not watching a ESPN production. Yeah, I think I agree as well. Uh, Any time where you have the schools sort of fitting the, uh, yeah, I guess footing the bill, excuse me, footing the bill 
for production services, it's not going to end out well in most cases. Uh, and I think we saw that in the mid-2010s from an FBS perspective with Conference USA TV, uh, very short-lived, but some of the production quality was just absolutely awful. Just remember seeing tweets about it. Uh, you bring a good point about the next star game of the week, and something that I like about this Big Sky deal is sort of the combination where the Big Sky can have their cake and eat it too. Like They can have their regional game of the week on Root Sports and then broadcast it to a national audience on ESPN Plus at, at a low price too and and i agree with the uh the next star game of the week very great production quality um you know in this spring watching you know just more football than than i could bargain for it i tune into many of those uh next star game of the weeks and production quality was great and really the syndication it, it, it's a good it's a good model for teams building regional brands when exactly a national brand isn't really in sight for a lot of these fcs schools unless you're like north dakota state or perennial power well, and also, you make a very good point there, Omar, but also, you know, they also are going to allow, well, not allow, but they're going to put a couple of Big Sky games on ESPNU. Now, that'll create some controversy over which ones. I imagine that one of them will definitely be the Ball of the Wild, you know, Montana versus Montana State, because, you know, in that one, you're either going to play in front of 27,500 in Washington Grizzly Stadium or about 23,500 in Bozeman. So that's going to obviously look good on television. Uh, what the other one is going to be on the SPNU is, you know, who knows? You would think maybe Idaho, Idaho State would get some play there. Uh, or maybe one of the California schools, you know, the Causeway Classic or something like that, maybe. But, you know, there is going to be that uh, option for them to put some of these games, at least two of the contract, I believe, uh, on ESPNU. And you mentioned Root Sports. Man, I'll tell you, Root Sports broadcast. If it didn't say root in the top of the screen, you would think you were watching the SEC game of the week. The camera angles are perfect. Uh, the announcers are great. Uh, it's a very quality product, and I'm glad to see that the Big Sky kept that thing going with root because it's been a good thing for both of them, I think. Yeah, 100%. And I did forget to mention the uh, two ESPNU games, which is huge. Uh, now that I think about it, only a few conferences have national television, like I guess, regular national television appearances aside from the playoffs. I can think of the the SWAC and MEAC, of course, uh, the Ivy League, uh, Patriot League is kind of iffy, but that that's huge. The national TV appearances are huge, and, and you mentioned the Brawl of the Wild for sure. That one other game, I think uh, ESPNU can do a lot for the Big Sky by putting it with a do double header for the Ivy League game of the week that they usually broadcast on ESPNU. I mean, I guess it would be cool you see, you know, on the East Coast, you get you know, traditional powers, I guess, Cornell and Penn for the early game at 6 o'clock and then right after at 9.30, like you mentioned, maybe a Idaho, Idaho State or the Causeway Classic or really just Eastern Washington lighting it up at a Roos Field. Well, look, the uh, uh, people either really like the red turf or they really dislike it. I like it myself. It, now, it had faded just a little bit, so they replaced it uh, this off season. And I thought it was really a good fundraiser for them. And Eastern Washington needs money for the athletic program. So I bought a couple of pieces of it. You could buy a couple of pieces of the red turfers if you wanted to. So I kept one and I uh, gave one to my Grizz fan buddy, Joel Johnson. And he uses it as uh, uh, for him to wipe his feet on before he comes in his house. So, uh, you know, I think that was pretty good too. But <clears throat> look, the... Uh, thing about the big sky 
is that, you know, you have, I mean, a lot, I don't think a lot of people realize that UC Davis is like a top seven university in the country, not in the West, not in, you know, just one particular uh, field. I mean, UC Davis is one of the best schools in this country. And, you know, they put people in the NFL from when they were Division Two, And they have good players, and they have good coach in Dan Hawkins, who's one of the best ones in the country. So, I mean, Davis is a rising power. I think that's a sleeping giant. They've been pretty darn good in football lately. But they have the ability to recruit kids uh, to that particular institution who are high academic kids, but great athletes too. And, you know, you mentioned the Ivy League, and, you know, I'd be remiss if if I didn't mention the fact that, you know, look, uh, I don't have a love affair with the Ivy League. Neither does my co-host. Neither does most of FCS football. And the reason being that no participation in the playoffs, starting their season three weeks to a month later than everyone else. I wish the Ivy League would get on board with the rest of us, I think the playoffs would be better if they would participate. And the reasons that they give with, you know, can't interfere with academics, well, you know, that doesn't hold a lot of water, does it? When you send your basketball team to the NCAA tournament, you'll send your track and field team, your lacrosse team, your field hockey team to the NCAA tournament. And I don't know exactly why the reason is they don't want to participate in the playoffs. Uh, I think maybe 15, 20 years ago, it may have been because fear of being run out of the stadium uh, by some of the top teams in FCS. But if you listen to other people who know this subdivision, you know they'll tell you that they think that Princeton a couple of years ago could have played with anybody in the subdivision. You know maybe that's true, maybe it's not. But you know if we still look up during the football season, Omar, and see an Ivy League team in the top ten, usually sometimes in the top six or seven. And it bothers me because they're the only ones that don't have to prove they belong there. You know, they really don't play anyone out of conference except for the Patriot League. You're starting to see some teams in that conference schedule some better teams. I think VMI opens with Princeton this year. That, that'll be very interesting. So, you know, that's my take on the Ivy. Um, do I watch their game? Yes. But do I grudgingly the whole time say, man, I wish they'd get in the playoffs and, and get on board to train with the rest of us? I think I say that a lot more than I enjoy the game, to be quite <laughs> frank with you. I, and you're hurting me a bit there, Kevin. I mean, like, geez, I, I love the Ivy Leagues. Um, growing up watching – or the Ivy Leagues, you know, Ivy League schools. Growing up watching Holy Cross um, at Fitton Field. And they, they compete with Ivy League schools. I mean, watching – I remember this one game. They had um, Mike McLeod ran for 256 yards and 40 carries against Holy Cross. And I remember just looking at my dad saying, I was like, will this ever end, you know, for, uh, for Yale? And but I mean I, I do I do agree with that but I, I can say I do think the Ivy League looks romantically on the past you know before the de-emphasis um, you know they're looking back at the at the Rose Bowls in the 1910s and stuff like that and uh, if they're gonna play in the postseason it has to match that prestige so I, I do I do uh, think that that might be the reason but but who knows I agree that the Ivy League's talent and some of the teams they put on the field like especially like uh, Coach Murphy's Harvard teams in past years amazing and that that uh, Princeton team as well. Back in twenty in twenty eighteen and also twenty nineteen to some degree, um, I would I would like to see them in the playoffs, but they're definitely reaping the benefits of their TV deal. And you know maybe with the big sky and this increased money, increased exposure, even if it's just by only two games and the countless number of um, ESPN Plus appearances, maybe that allows them to. I don't I don't even think they need to catch up, but 
gain fans in the East Coast? Because I'm sure West Coast bias still exists with the FCS. I mean, you'd know better than I would. You know, it's funny because most of the time people talk about East Coast bias in the FCS. So, you know, it's there everywhere. But, you know, look, the best teams in our subdivision are now located uh, (laughs) west of the Mississippi River. You know, NDSU, uh, both Montanas, uh, you know, some teams in Texas. Um, you know, this is not a subdivision anymore where, you know, the Carolinas and Georgia and, and, and those particular things run it. I mean, Delaware is getting back to being Delaware again, which the whole subdivision's better when Delaware's good. So, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that you say, you know, West Coast bias because that is a recent thing or, you know, Midwestern bias. You know, it used to be that folks out here, uh, I was in Montana now, uh, complained that, you know, people didn't see their games as often. Kind of the same things you hear about college basketball, right? You know, the, the people who are voting the top 25 who live in SEC country or even in football, you know, are not staying up for a 10:30 kickoff of the Pac-12, right? You know, so they don't see it as much. So I get what you're saying. But, you know, it's funny to hear you uh, talk about the, you know, the Ivy League waxing romantically about the past. I'm from Charleston, South Carolina, so boy, I get that better than just about anybody, right? You know, about you know, waxing romantically about the past. Charleston does it better than anyone. But you know, it, it's at some point, you know, and and I, it's just, it's one of those things that really sticks in my crawl. You know, I I, I would love to see the Slack and the Miac participate in the playoffs too. But I understand why they do what they do with the Celebration Bowl. It's important. It brings in a lot of money. But I do like the fact that the NCAA and, and the FCS and the playoff committee has left that door open if a SLAC team or a MEAC team uh, is good enough in their mind to qualify the runner-up of the two leagues not participating in the Celebration Bowl. Well, they're eligible for the playoffs. And I think that as we see more and more eyes get on the slack, the MEAC may be falling apart. I mean, North Carolina A&T going to, you know, the Big South is a huge deal. Uh, the growth of the WAC and the, and the A-Sun is going to be a huge deal there, too. But I think as you see more eyes get on the slack because of Deion Sanders and, and some other reasons, uh, you know, you might see, you know, if Jackson State wins the WAC title and – you know, uh, one of the Alabama schools, uh, you know, finishes second. Well, you know, that might, they might be good enough. And a lot of years, I think they are going to be good enough to get one of those at large bursts. And that's why I like 24 teams versus what we did this spring with just 16. I think 24 teams is a good number. I think that, uh, you know, we're, you have an opportunity if you can get on a roll. And, you know, the fact that teams are playing in leagues that, you know, maybe aren't as good from top to bottom as some of the other leagues are. That doesn't mean the second place team and the slack isn't a good team that can win a couple of games in the FCS playoffs. I believe that in the future that is going to happen. Yeah, I agree with you for sure on that. Um, and just looking at this spring, I mean, I think 16 was logical given the amount of teams that had played. I forget, I think the number was like in the 80s. So 16 made sense, but I think I think Southern was screwed from the playoffs, honestly, especially after the um, 
that dominant performance in the Bayou Classic. I mean, I was watching that, and uh, I don't know if, if uh, you can speak to this, but seeing that game, that was like the lowest I've seen a proud program ever fall, um, arguably, with the way Grambling played. I mean, that's just not the G-men that you, that you know of. But, and again, I think that's a consequence of the money, um, you know, gradually from the Celebration Bowl. And, you know, who knows, the Big Sky can reap that too in terms of recruiting um, and just everything that falls behind. So a question I, I have to follow up with this. Um, immediately when I saw this, the news, I thought about the CAA, the Colonial Athletic Association, and their deal with Flow Sports, with them as the main broadcast partner. And I, I, I just don't think that's a beneficial deal. Do you think that the CAA is lagging behind or do you see that, I guess, you know, just being just fine the way they are, just renegotiating in a few years? You know, I think Flow Sports is still loading so, you know, or buffering, you know, I, 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 you know, so I, I don't know whether I'm knowing, well, I do know enough to answer the question, but you get where I'm going, right? You know, that, you know, what may have seemed like a great deal uh, when, you know, it was first signed, um, you know, and, and I think the people that really are getting the short end of the stick on that is James Madison, because they have their own deal, kind of like Northern Arizona has with NAU TV. And their stuff was good. It was, uh, you never had a problem with it buffering. You could watch the JMU game, and it looked good. And then they go to Flow Sports, and, you know, it just isn't uh, as good of a product. And I don't know how long that deal has left on it, but uh, it's one of the reasons why you hear James Madison people talking about wanting to get out of the CAA, is, you know, they can't seem to get, a media rights deal done in a way that people can actually watch it without the buffering problems or, you know, losing audio for a quarter or just freezing up completely. And, you know, James Madison is, is too good of a brand um, and so are several other schools in the CAA to have that be, you know, how people have to watch their games. And it's a shame. I don't know what the solution is, but... I mean, I just think that it would shock me if the CAA went back with flow sports when this deal expires, whenever that is. It's just not very good. Yeah, I, I agree. And I'll be honest, this spring season, I didn't watch a single CAA game that I mean that they had rights to. I watched uh, Delaware State-Delaware, uh, but that was nationally televised in ESPN2. Um, and if you think about it, like the markets exist in the CAA. Like, there are... I mean, at least for football, basketball as well. I mean, you got Northeastern in Boston, but um, in football, you got Stony Brook in New York City. And New York City, uh, it, it's, a, it's a large market. I'm not saying that that's Stony Brook's market, but it's a competitive market because Syracuse has been a sleeping giant for years. Rutgers doesn't look to be rising to be that dominant brand in the city. Army football, I mean, they're, they're great, but I just don't see them being that dominant brand either. So Stony Brook, with a, I mean, with a deal with ESPN Plus or a regional partner, um, you know, they, that could go a long ways too. I mean, I remember seeing uh, occasionally in the fall a tape-delayed Columbia game on SNY. The CAA doesn't have anything like that, at least in the New York market. And there's other markets you can point to there as well, like Villanova with Philadelphia, even though it's a Penn State-dominant market. Delaware has the whole state of Delaware, at least for now until Delaware State, you know, becomes good. But um, I really think it's hurting the conference too, like you. And they're just not taking advantage of these markets. And something that interests me is um, their deal with CBS Sports for basketball. 
And I'm wondering if they can carry that into uh, college football in the fall. Because looking at the CBS Sports Network, they don't have much inventory, at least in my opinion. They have Conference USA. They're the lead broadcaster of the Mountain West. They have the service academies. And then they have UConn. And some of those UConn games aren't looking very attractive, except for the Holy Cross one. I got I to mention that, you know, being biased. But, um, yeah, like, I think the CBS Sports Network, if they can link with them somehow, but I don't see it happening. If they can link them somehow to get some of their games there, I think that can do the conference a great amount of um, great amount of a po- positive movement. Jeez, messing up my words. But um, I, I kind of want to know your thoughts. Like, if they get a better deal, do you think they could emerge in some of the markets that they're in? I mean, there's no reason why not. I mean, you're talking about, you know, just take Delaware, for example. I mean, that's a flagship state university, right? I mean, um, even if it is FCS. So there ought to be, you know, casual fans in the state of Delaware who would tune into a Delaware game on a Saturday afternoon, you would think. But, you know, it's just pro football dominates so much up there, doesn't it? That, I mean, if you're not Penn State, you know, are you going to get a lot of eyes? You think I'm on? I mean, yeah, maybe not Villanova. I think Villanova was a bad example, but um, yeah, I, th- I think Stony Brook. Like New York's been ripe for the taking for a very long time with Stony Brook. Look, I like uh, what Sea Wolves have done. I mean, the last fall season, I mean, they came within a whisker of beating James Madison and throwing the whole CAA into a just a conundrum. So, you know, that, I like what the Seawolves have done. And like you said, they, they have an opportunity. Someone needs to be New York's college football team, right? And they have a good of, as good of an opportunity as anybody. But look at what LIU's done. You know, uh, Merrimack, right? I mean, uh, would you believe 15 years ago that those would be Division One football programs? No, I mean, I, I wouldn't have. Uh, in fact, I just heard of Merrimack like a couple years ago. I know that's kind of... Sounds bad that I lived since I lived in Massachusetts for uh, for almost a decade, but I, I hadn't heard of Merrimack until they moved D one. Well, you know, you you mentioned UConn earlier, um, and you know you're you're from Massachusetts. Um, do you think there's any opportunity down the line that you know those two schools might decide that you know I mean you UMass has been horrible as an FBS program, haven't they? Like one of the worst. I mean, and they won a national championship at our level. I mean, so what's better? Being everyone's homecoming honey or, uh, you know, playing for something? You know, uh, I think everyone knows what my answer is, but I just think that even UMass people are going to have to come to that conclusion at some point, don't you? Yeah, no, I agree for sure. Um, like, I, I love that term, homecoming honey. <laughs> I never never heard that one before. Uh, I, I, think, I think with UConn it's a bit harder because they do have that Big East clout. Um, and they do have, they have a, they have a solid TV deal. I mean, I'll, I'll face it and I'll admit it. Uh, I kind of, I kind of gravitate towards not liking UConn because they're trying to, they see themselves as what Army is, the preeminent Northeastern independent. And I, I hate that because they're, they're not. I mean, you just can't come in after a few bad seasons like they've had and just say that. But I digress. They have a solid TV deal. So I think they can fold. They get home games against power five schools at Rentschler. UMass on the, on the other hand, it's like, especially during this pandemic season, I, I was really scratching my head at them scheduling some of these games and taking these beatings on national TV. Like, it was really confusing for me. I mean, the things that we do for money, right? You right. know, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, I've, I've often wondered that. 
you know, and we discussed it off air about, you know, some of the teams that have left the Southern Conference. You know, Appalachian State and Georgia Southern, the their last year in the in the SoCon, uh, they finished in the bottom half. And then they move up the next year. Now, they weren't eligible for the Sun Belt Championship, but if, unless my memory is incorrect, which could be, I'm getting a little older, uh, <laughs> I think that they were either one and two or one and three uh, finishing in that league, ineligible for the Sun Belt crown with Southern Conference players. You know, so, uh, you know, and so, but for every Boise State, you know, there's a UMass or a UConn. And, I mean, I think even Boise State is, is you know, scratching their head right now looking for a better conference home. You know, uh, uh, but I just think that what we're going to see is everybody talks about realignment and, you know, what could happen. But I think we are really going to see sometime 15 years maybe, we're going to see what people have been saying is going to happen for a while. And you'll see the big boys or the P5s uh, take their ball and leave the NCAA. And then I think if you're part of that second tier you need to position yourself as well as you can to continue to play at the second highest, second highest level. So I think that's what we'll see happen. And look, when you have teams, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Michigan, those people of the world, you know, and people say, well, you know, it's, is, is it really an upset when uh, someone from the group of five goes in there and plays them tough or, you know, maybe beats one of those teams? Well, people say well, that they operate under the same rules. But do they really? Yes, they get the same amount of scholarships. But is it really the same at Alabama as it is at UMass or UConn? You know, I don't think so. But, you know, I, I think that once that happens, you will see, uh, like I said, people try to position themselves in the next few years to try to remain playing at the second highest level, which is what most people want to do who are not Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Florida, that bunch. That'll be interesting to see for sure. And I've heard talks about that, whether uh, it be the perpetual group of five playoff talks, which uh, I definitely oppose. But, I mean, the the chasm's only growing um, by each day. And maybe the maybe the 12-team playoff will help that that chasm kind of, kind of I guess, decrease. But um, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, I do see that happening as well with some of these um, conference alignments not really being beneficial but go again with conference realignment. I want to ask. Uh, you mentioned with James Madison fans saying when uh, when they leave the CAA. Uh, I kind of want to know what timetable for that, uh, and also maybe a conference target because I've heard things that they'd be a good fit in the MAC uh, if the MAC ever chooses to expand. Or do you see them going to like maybe down to the SoCon again? Um, or I don't know if they were ever in the SoCon, so I shouldn't say again. But going to the SoCon because the SoCon shaping up to be a great. I mean, it's always been a great college football conference. I would think that if they're interested in moving up, which it seems that, you know, when you read Twitter and, uh, you know, and talk to people, that they're very interested in the American Athletic Conference. I'm not sure that the interest is mutual. You know, Harrisonburg isn't that large of a TV market. And, but I would like to think that uh, the other group of five leagues wouldn't do what Conference USA did, which was they just chase TV markets, not good quality teams. And look at where Conference USA is now. I mean, it is 
a lot of years rated below several FCS conferences as far as strength goes. You know, so uh, I would like to see uh, if James Madison's going to leave our subdivision, I would like to see them go to some place where it's worth it and where, you know, they're not just going to FBS so that they can beat their chest and say, we're FBS. You know, and, and I think that that's their plan is, you know, they'll wait around and see what happens. I think North Dakota State is in that same boat. The, both Montana schools are as well. You know, the uh, is the Mountain West really a step up for Montana and Montana State? I'm not sure the answer to that. And I think if I'm going to spend the money that's necessary to do the things, adding sports to be able to, to get to the uh, requisite number uh, to, to be an FBS school, uh, I think that it would have to clearly be a step up, not maybe just a little bit above a lateral move. But, look, I think that if you're going to talk about some realignment at the FCS level, I would love to see uh, JMU and uh, VMI be in the same league and play every year. You know, you add Chattanooga, uh, Furman, Citadel, uh, maybe you go and grab Kennesaw if they're unhappy in that eighth son. You know, and, and you do what the SOCON has always done, which the SOCON's always been a group of schools that are very uh, unsimilar in a lot of ways, but make it work because you can bus everywhere. You know, the longest bus trip in the SOCON for the Citadel is to Birmingham, Alabama. And, you know, uh, that's, you know, that's not all that short of a trip, but you can bus it, and they do. And that makes a huge difference in your bottom line not having to fly everywhere, which is a problem for the big sky schools. You know, the, uh, the Montana schools can, you know, when you added Idaho back in, that gave them another school that the Montana schools can bus to. I mean, it must be um, very expensive. You have to send your lacrosse team to uh, Portland, you know, to have to send your uh, uh, other non-revenue sports teams to Flagstaff, Arizona. You know, so uh, I think we're going to see after this uh, pandemic is over that you'll have a lot of schools who are looking at their conference mates going, you know, we don't really have much in common with them, and they're a long way away. Let's try to get back to more geographic uh, leagues in all sports. And I think you'll see that happen eventually. Yeah, no, I'd be interested to see that. We saw that a bit with the MEAC where um, Bethune-Cookman, Florida A&M got tired of going to Delaware and uh, Maryland and, you know, the other non, non-football schools up there in the mid-Atlantic. Uh, that, that brings up a great point for sure. Uh, I think, I think uh, the, league that ha- the league that has it right at the moment, I think, um, like you said, the SoCon for sure. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know that the shortest bus ride was um, from Charleston now to Birmingham with Sanford. Um, that's, that's great to know for sure. Uh, that's, that definitely is great for the check for, uh, I guess, the, uh, the, the expenses. But I, th- I think uh, the, the Ivy League again, and I think the Patriot League, they both have it right for sure because the, the Patriot League, not only are they really condensed, but they're like-minded schools. Um, they, they don't really place that much stake in football for that matter. I mean, they're academics for, for a reason. Um, but that'll be interesting to see with this pandemic for sure. Uh, as, as we near to a close, uh, Kevin, it's been a true pleasure having you on. And uh, do, you have, do you have anything to, to really add to our conversation? Um, 
anything about FCS football or about about the Citadel or the triple option team. I'm a huge triple option fan, and I do enjoy watching Citadel play whenever they play FBS schools. You know, it's interesting whenever I network, I interview coaches, and you know, and you ask them, you know, how does it feel when you know that your opponent knows what's coming, but if you execute it, they can't stop it. And I know you watch that with your uh, black knights, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> they they know it's going to be triple to the left or to the right, or the V-back's going to get it 99.9% of the time. But, you know, it, it, it's, it's about execution, it's about toughness, and it's about grit. And, you know, that's one of the things that I really like about uh, senior military college football. Uh, you know, VMI is trying to do it a little bit different way. And, you know, it works for for the T-Lets, obviously. You know, won their first Southern Conference Championship in a long, long time this spring. And, you know, so you have to look at it that there's not just one recipe for success. There can be several of them. You know, and one of the things that I would just like to reiterate to folks who are listening to this is, you know, this is FCS football. It's good football. It's entertaining. It's played by players who can play. And just go out, and if you have an FCS team somewhere in your backyard, you know, you can probably afford to take a family of four to that game and not spend $900. <laughs> you know, I, you know I, I, I'm, that's not possible in a lot of places, right? You know, uh, it's good entertainment, it's good football, uh, and it's played mostly by kids who you wouldn't mind uh, having over to your house to have a meal in, in your kitchen table. And... You know, I think that's a good deal, and it's good football, and I really wish people give it a chance. If you do, you know, the next thing you know, you'll be one of us, you know, uh, part of FCF Nation, and I hope you do. Thanks for having me, Omar. Oh, yeah, thank you, Kevin, and uh, I'm hoping to make my way down to a bunch of SoCon games. Uh, I mean, I'm going to be in Georgia during the fall for um, for my for my training, and I will say, SEC ticket prices are um, expensive, but more expensive than I thought, and uh, it's not a good thing. So uh, I will be frequenting the SoCon, and looking, I'm looking forward to the Military Classic of the South. Uh, you know, I, I do. I will say as a joke, it it, it, it does lose a bit of attention to uh, America's game up north, but definitely a great rivalry that I'm looking forward to heading to. Well, I, I know this. Uh, the guys that wear silver, blue, and white want their trophy back. I know that. So uh, <laughs> it's been two long years that it's resided up there in the Shenandoah Valley. And those boys want their trophy back. I know that. Yeah, I'm excited for it too. I mean, I I love the Citadel powder blue. I will, I will say that. I mean, I mean, you guys may have copied our uniforms, and I always joke about that whenever I see an ad for the Citadel. But man, you guys do football uniforms so well. Copied your well, okay. I'm, I mean, you know, uh, okay, 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 okay. All right, you got me there. And you know what? After that, I got nothing else to say. How about that? <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I touched your nerve, Kevin. But thank you so much no, for no, coming. No, 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 no. I just think it's funny. Right. You know, uh, uh, you know, uh, and and I would be remiss if I let you get away with calling it powder blue. No, sir, that's Citadel blue. Okay. <laughs> and the good Lord and and the good Lord made the sky the color of his favorite team. There you go. <laughs> That's great. No, that's that's awesome. I mean, I can't I can't really say that about uh about West Point black and gold or even gray. They throw in the gray in the in the rotation sometimes. Um, I mean, but, sometimes when I see y'all play, I would have to go. Is that Wofford? Oh no, it's Army. <laughs> Wofford. That's good. I I I don't think I can say anything now. Um, but it's definitely a good one. Um, 
th- thanks again, Kevin, uh, for sure. And, um, you know, you, you got an honorary Citadel fan here. Uh, they earned my respect this fall. I appreciate you having me, Omar. Thank you, friend. Thank you.